0: Every show is a dose of inspiration. This is Success Profiles Radio. And now, here's your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: Hello, and welcome to Success Profiles Radio. I'm your host, Brian K. Wright, and it's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. I'm honored that you chose to spend part of your day with me here, and this is going to be a really fantastic show. I'll be introducing my guests shortly, and I promise this will be a fun and informative hour. It will be terrific. I do want to take a minute or two to share some things I've been learning and thinking about lately, and I typically do this every single week. There are times when things happen a lot slower than you think that they're supposed to, and it's important to remember why you started in the first place. Because if you keep your end goal in mind and why you're pursuing it, you'll find it a lot easier to keep going when things get difficult. Sometimes the fruit of your labor will appear all at once, and then you wonder why it didn't happen sooner. For example, for me, I was finally able to launch Success Profiles magazine recently, and I have a book coming out with a publisher in April. And I've been working on both of these projects for quite a while, and now they're both going to see the light of day within a couple of months from each other. So, the message is don't give up. If you have a strong enough why and you keep going in the face of adversity, things will eventually turn around in your favor. And with that in mind, I would like to introduce my very special guest, David Barnett. His bio is very extensive. Let me just hit the highlights. He's the author of several best selling Amazon books, including Invest Local A Guide to Superior Investment Returns in Your Own Community. Another one is Credit Card Advantage, Understand the Costs and Benefits to Your Business. Another one is Franchise Warnings, What You Really Need to Know Before You Buy. And his latest one, which happened last year, How to Sell My Business, became a bestseller in Amazon's entrepreneur category during the month of its release. His experience includes investing in income properties, commercial finance solutions, and his current work with entrepreneurs around the world by helping them to buy, sell, and organize their small and medium-sized businesses. We will talk about all of these things and so much more on today's show. And before I forget, you can download and subscribe to Success Profiles Radio on iTunes for free. A review would be terrific. I would love and appreciate that very much. So here we are with my very special guest, David Barnett. David, how are you today? Hey, Brian. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Awesome. It's good to to talk to you. You are talking to us from Canada, correct?
2: Yeah, I'm on the east coast of Canada in New Brunswick. We're just directly east of Maine. I always... I always say to people, you know, that that side of Maine, which is long and straight, is not a long, straight beach. It's actually New Brunswick. That's where I live. <laughs> that's that's
1: awesome. All right. So the first question I normally ask everyone is just to talk about your your background, your backstory. Basically, you know, where you started, what kinds of things did you overcome on your journey? What brought you to where we are now? And we'll we'll talk about this for the whole first segment.
2: Yeah, sure. So I've always had an interest in business. You know, when I was a child, I had all those different childhood businesses, like uh, well, being from Canada, of course. You know, shoveling snow out of neighbors' driveways and things like that, and and it grew to the point where I decided to go to business school because I thought it would help me be a businessman. It took me about three years to realize that they were trying to turn me into a what I call a Fortune 500 bureaucrat. You know, someone who, a middle manager in a in a big big company. When I got out of university, I, I went full-heartedly into the world of small business. And in fact, I got a really great job. I was an um, advertising rep with a Yellow Pages publisher. So I, I had the opportunity to go out and meet with the owners and managers of everyday Main Street local businesses. And so I would go in, I would learn a little bit about all kinds of different businesses, whether it be audio, auto repair, you know, stereo shops, tire repair, you know, all the different local businesses in the community. And I'd be talking with them about what kind of clients they would like to have, who they wanted to hear on the phone when the phone rang. But I knew from, you know, the 1990s and early 2000s that, of course, the Yellow Pages wasn't a place for the future because the Internet was growing so quickly. And Mm -hmm. so I knew that I had to get out of that. And I, I quit that job to start a business with a partner. And we ran that business for a year and a half before I realized my heart really wasn't in it. And we sold that business. And that was the first time I was involved in selling a business. And we were really lucky that we sold it to a honest and honorable person because I didn't know anything about how to sell a business. And later when I learned more, I realized that I really had not done the deal properly and I had I would have been open to someone taking advantage of me in that deal uh, because it wasn't set up right. Mm. And so... Uh, I later got into finance brokerage where I was helping people who owned businesses acquire financing for growth and expansion. So uh, equipment leases, uh, commercial mortgages, bank lines of credit, and factoring facilities, which is um, when we have a company that has a lot of receivables and they want cash today, I would arrange for other companies to come in and buy those receivables. So I was doing the finance brokerage and I kept meeting people who were coming and looking for money to acquire businesses. And when I got involved in some of those deals, I I learned that there were people here in my community that were putting these business deals together who had absolutely no idea what they were doing. So I I would get calls, for example, from from big banks downtown on Main Street, and and the bankers would say, Dave, I've got a couple here. They have a a contract to buy a convenience store, and it's written up on a real estate agent's contract to buy a house. And it says that they've got 10 days to get 90% financing. And, of course, those kinds of terms and stipulations make absolutely no sense in the world of business. That's how you buy a house. And so you would have, like, real estate agents and even attorneys and accountants um, who who didn't know a lot about business were trying to put these deals together and they weren't structured correctly and the expectations weren't being properly set and people had unrealistic ideas of, of what kind of terms the business would be sold under and all this kind of thing. So I would start working on these deals to try to get the financing, and I would end up doing a huge chunk of the work that the deal maker was supposed to be doing. Mm. And the financial crisis then hit in 2008, and what ended up happening is about half of the companies that were my sources of money for my customers went out of business. Yeah. And I, I realized I had to make a pivot. I had to make a change because my my business was going to was going to come to an end. They're just I didn't have enough funding companies out there anymore and I knew it was going to take a few years for things to recover. And so I decided to join a business brokerage firm and I chose one. Um, It was one of the big international names because they had access to training and I became one of the first, uh, I was actually the first person in New Brunswick to obtain my, my certification in helping people buy and sell businesses and became a business broker. And for three years, I was very successful. I helped um, buy and sell 36 companies in three years. And that may sound like a nice, easy, eddy steady business and cash flow, but the reality was it was not. It was a nightmare. Because in those three years, I went through three periods of nine months without a deal closing. Oh, my. Business brokerage is based on commission. So somebody comes to you, they want to sell their business. You list it for sale, prepare everything, and then you find the buyer. And when the deal happens, you collect a commission. And so as I became the owner of the office in 2009. And um, so I had to pay the rent. I had to pay my assistant. I had some associates who were also on commission. But I was paying all of this overhead every month. And then my expenses at home and through one of these drought periods, I'd basically go nine months with no income
0: Mm. while
2: paying all these bills and if you if you see my photo, I've got gray hair on the side of my head, and it all comes from this period of my life. Oh my. This is where I got all my gray hairs. So, so eventually what happened is I was heading into the fall of 2011. I had six deals set to close that fall that were going to bring in a quarter of a million dollars of revenue, and one deal didn't close because a franchisor acted like a jerk to a, a potential buyer, and that deal fell apart Another deal fell apart because a bank rescinded a funding letter. So they had approved a loan, then they did change their mind, okay? Oh. So that deal fell apart. The third deal fell apart because it was in a regulated industry and the government agency that had to approve the buyer and give them a license refused. So my six deals bringing in a quarter of a million dollars became three deals bringing in 110000 And when that money came in, it was enough for me to pay off my credit cards, my lines of credit, And I said, I can't live this way. So that's when I threw in the towel and I quit Mm. and I transferred the office to one of my associates. I made a deal with him and then I wrote down, you know, what, where do I want to hide while I figure myself out where I lick my wounds? And I wrote out a little job description, you know, for the universe. And I put, I'm going to go back to a business to business sales role where I'm going to work from home and I'm going to travel around and Literally five weeks later, I was hired by a bank to manage a corporate revolving credit portfolio. And so everything seemed to be working out okay. I now had a regular income. I was able to plan a household budget and I was, I was really smarting from my entrepreneurial experience. You know, it didn't work out the way I wanted. And my phone started to ring. You know, I, I, had, I spent a lot of time in the car. I would have to drive an hour for a meeting then drive another two hours for my next meeting. And, and my phone started to ring. And it would be people calling me up saying, Dave, I, I want to sell my business. I heard you're the guy. And I would say, no, I don't do that anymore. Call the guy that took over my office. He can help you. And, and it just kept ringing. The phone kept ringing. And finally, one day, a guy named Bob called. And he said, Dave, he said, I found a business to buy. Um, I've been to my attorney and I've been to my accountant. And they both told me what I need to get in a deal, but neither of them seems to be able to guide me through the process or, or help me negotiate or, or to give me real good feedback on what I need to look at in, you know, in this business. And I said, you know, Bob, I can help you. I can do that. Um, But I'm not a broker. And so I'm going to have to work with you as a consultant. And I also have a job, which means I can only work with you on evenings and weekends and I'll have to charge you by the hour. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I, I waited and waited, and I could I could kind of hear a noise through the phone. It was Bob thinking. I'm sure right. that's what the noise was. And then suddenly he said, well, then you can meet me Saturday at 9? And I said, I said, yeah, Bob, I can meet you Saturday at 9. And that was the beginning of me acting as a private transaction advisor, which is a, a term that I, I made up, to describe someone who helps people buy and sell businesses but is not a broker, rather an advisor to help people through the process on their own. The, the same way that... You know, you go to an attorney when you need a contract created or you want to do a certain kind of deal and -hmm. they do work for you and you pay them or you go to your accountant, you go to your accountant at tax time and he does your tax return for you and you pay him. And that's the same way that I now relate to my clients.
1: Fantastic. We're coming up against our first break. And one thing I loved about that story is you can see as you look back the puzzle pieces Don't look like they go together until you get to the end and you go, oh, that's why I went through all that. So we will talk more with David about buying and selling businesses and business credit and a lot of things relating to this topic. It's fascinating. We will come right back. This is Success Profiles Radio. Please stay with us. Don't go away. The Survival Guide to Living with Stress. So get the Healthy Primate Stress Support Supplement today at www.screwstress.com. Click the Amazon logo. It'll take you where you need to go. Once again, that is www.screwstress.com.
0: Welcome back to Success Profiles Radio. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. And this show will clearly demonstrate the principles, if I can do it, you can do it. So let's get back to the show. This is Success Profiles Radio. And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright.
1: And we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is David Barnett. And this week's topic is buying and selling businesses commercial credit and a lot of topics relating to that because there are a lot of people out there who want to sell their business and they want to potentially buy a business for an abundance of reasons and we'll explore all of that so first of all David what is your big why for what you do
2: oh you know I'll tell you a story that highlights my why Um, uh, I recently had one of the people who a regular viewer of my YouTube channel he wrote to me and he said that he had been watching my YouTube channel for a, a, about a year ago. And then he decided not to hire me. And instead he jumped into a deal because he he saw what he thought was a good opportunity. And he was under a lot of pressure from the broker involved because other people apparently were interested. And he went full throttle into a deal without doing a proper due diligence. And he did it way too quickly. And he didn't structure the deal properly. And now he's found that he's in a business with 30-year-old equipment that needs to be renewed, oh. right? And he bought based on a cash flow analysis which showed the, the EBITDA cash flow to the owner, which of course doesn't take into account capital reinvestment, right? And he didn't make any allowance for capital reinvestment. And when he bought the business, because he's a new operator, um, there was a customer concentration issue where about 23% of sales came from one party. Turns out that party... Uh, was in the disaster restoration industry. And one of their claims to their customers is that everyone they work with has a certain degree of experience. Mm-hmm. So they had to drop him when he bought this business. Oh. And so he's ended up in a business where it turns out the cash flow he thought was there isn't there. Um, he lost 23% of sales almost overnight. He has huge outlays to do to replace equipment. He got into a really bad deal. Mm-hmm. And he reached out to me and he said, David, I I should have worked with you. I should have hired you to help me look at this deal. What can I do now? And I and I, I made a phone call with him and I spoke with him for about an hour and we walked through what had happened and it can't be changed now. And one of the problems with the structure of the deal is the the way he bought the business gives him very little in the way of recourse against the seller. Mm. and And so he has to look forward. It's either going to be make your moves move your chess pieces so that you can make the most efficient use of a bankruptcy proceeding or figure out how can I grow the sales of the business without capital investment? Right. And so I I shared some different ideas about how he could do one of those two paths, but he exemplifies my why, which is I'm tired of hearing about people who get into bad deals Mm -hmm. and, and, it's not just from the buyer's side. It's also from the seller side because here's what happens to sellers. People all of a sudden develop a pressing need to sell their business and then they start dealing with the wrong broker who doesn't create proper expectations for them and what ends up happening is they end up taking too long and the business value starts to erode. You know, you know there's a lot out there on the internet of people talking to business owners saying, I can help you sell your business for the most amount of money. That's often not the concern when, when people own a small business, it's because they need an income. Most small businesses out there are supporting a family, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so people aren't sitting there thinking, how am I going to cash out? Right. That, that's the idea we have from film and from the news that comes from Silicon Valley. Right people have these incredibly wild success stories about you know, an app and all of a sudden the company is sold for millions of dollars. Those are the Babe Ruths of the entrepreneurial world. Those are the exceptions. They're not the rule. The rule is the family that works together in a small business and maybe a couple of family members work there and they have another five or dozen or 25 employees that are people from the town and we all work together and we all play on the same baseball teams on the weekend. Right? right, And we're part of the community and we run that business, not because we're trying to get rich and cash out. We run that business because we need an income, right? And and we were trying to pay off our mortgage and we we're trying to afford vacations and save for the children's college fund. And so businesses, small businesses don't go on the market because someone's trying to cash out for the most amount of money because businesses just don't sell for that much. When most small business owners learn what their business can actually sell for, most of them have to pause and say, look, I could have that same amount of money if I just kept it for the next few years, mm-hmm. right? And so what causes people to sell a business is not this motivation for money. It's a pressing personal need that forces them to have to change the, to turn the page in their life. So when I was a broker, the top five reasons that people wanted to sell a business, number one was burnout and fatigue, right? Right. So if, if, you, if you had a job for 15 years and all of a sudden you didn't like it anymore, mm-hmm. wh- what would you do, Brian? You, you know, people who are employed, they go look for a new job. And right. when they find it, they quit, right? And, and they quit the old job. Well, the business owner can't do that. He's got all of his family's wealth tied up in the business. So when they become burned out, when they're bored of the business, when they can't hack it anymore, they put it up for sale. Another big reason is poor health right? So they've been told by their doctor that they have some sort of condition it's going to affect their life. They decide, I don't want to have to deal with this health issue while running the business. Or if they know that it's terminal, they say, I don't want my heirs to have to deal with this business. So it goes up for sale. Divorce, right? A lot right. of people work in their business with their spouse. I've had clients before where one of the spouses moves out of the house. They're they're splitting up. They're divorcing. They've got a new path in their life for each of them. And then every morning at eight o'clock they show up together <laughs> and have to yeah. run a business, right? And they don't want to be there. They they want right. to move on. So that goes up for sale. Um, the another common reason is retirement, right? And mm-hmm. and so retirement we all understand and can plan for. The last one is relocation. It's one that's becoming increasingly popular. So. Imagine a married couple, one of them has a high income career, maybe a surgeon or military officer or something like that. And the other spouse has a successful business, but they don't earn as much as the employed person. And then when that employed person gets a transfer, the couple wants to stay together. So the Mm -hmm. business goes up for sale. So, so when one of these pressing personal things happens and you need to sell a business, it's, it's about getting a good price. Yeah. But it's about making a deal in an expedient fashion, right? right? So that you can get out before the inevitable takes place. And when the with the inevitable that I'm talking about is when the business owner loses focus on the business, when they have their eye off the ball, it's when people's phone calls don't get returned on time. It's when you don't stop to plan next season's marketing efforts. It's when you don't stop to properly plan the purchasing in a business where we sell goods, for example. And yeah. what all the cumulative effect of that lack of attention leads to reduced sales, reduced profitability, and now the value starts to leak away. It's like a balloon yeah. that's deflating, right? right. And so when the, when the pressing personal concern appears, we then have to realize, okay, we can no longer function full force as a business owner. It's time to get out. While the maximum value is here, we need to do the things that we have to do to get out quickly and make a good deal. And so when those people meet uh, the wrong kind of broker, for example, who says, oh, no, I can get more for your business than you think, and they inflate their expectations, and they don't properly set the expectations with respect to the terms of sale and what's going to be required of the business owner um, in that transaction – what ends up happening is good, reasonable offers come along
1: uh-huh. that
2: get turned down. And then people learn later, oh, my God, I I had my exit and I didn't uh-huh. take it yeah. because I wasn't properly prepared for what that exit would look like. And, and, and unfortunately, I run into that all the time where I'll be contacted because I work with buyers and sellers. Right. I'll be contacted by people who say, I, I'm trying to sell my business. I just can't sell it. I'll do an evaluation and then I'll come back with a likely sale scenario and they'll, they'll take a look at that and they'll go, Dave, uh, someone offered me something like that a year and a half ago and I didn't know that it was a good deal. Mm. Right. And so, and so they then got stuck there because they, they didn't know what they needed to know to get out of the business.
1: Right. So there there are two potential scenarios when you're trying to sell a business. One is use a broker. One is sell it yourself. So let's talk a little bit about if you use a broker first. I guess I should probably ask if you do use a broker, how do you know who to hire? Because there are people out there who probably don't know what they're doing. We've got three minutes to our next break. Or there are people who don't have the customer's best interest at heart.
2: Yeah, well, actually, the book How to Sell My Own Business, the the first part of it is actually how to hire the right broker. Because if you have a successful, profitable business that's doing well, your energy and focus needs to be on running the business. And a broker can give tremendous value in managing the process and getting everything prepared. You need to know that you're working with someone who actually knows what they're doing, though. And so you need to check references, you want to talk to their past clients, you want to see what kind of training they've had, what their association connections are, what, what they've done as far as certifications, who they're working with. If if they're in an office with other mentor type characters that are helping them do a better job. Real estate agents, attorneys, accountants, these are not business brokers. right? And right. I've seen so many people get involved with intermediaries that are not business brokers and they really don't have any idea how to sell a business. And I've had so many instances where I've talked with people who have wasted years, for example, trying to sell a business with a real estate agent. And, and I think when people stand back and they look at their business from the outside, they see this building. And maybe they figure that's why a realtor would be the right person. The, the other problem is uh, legislation and licensing. So where I live, for example, business brokers and realtors are lumped together under the same law. And so they have the same license. And so that gives some realtors the thought that maybe they're qualified to sell businesses. But I always say to people, buildings have foundations, doors, windows, and roofs. Businesses have employees, inventory, receivables, and payables. A business is nothing like a building. Oftentimes, though, a business will own a building. And so this is where the confusion, I think, sometimes comes in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've got less than two minutes to our next break. Um, actually one minute, we'll probably have to move this question over to the next section. But what I do want to, to ask you, uh, is how do you know when to use a broker and when you should do it yourself? If there's a very quick answer that we can elaborate on after the break, that'd be great.
2: Well, a lot of it has to do with your own impetus and and whether you want to take on the task. 80% of businesses are sold privately without the use of any intermediary.
0: Mm.
2: So, so the majority of businesses change hands without using a business broker, um, If you have time and your business is profitable and successful and you can see that many people may want to own it, a broker can usually add value to that process
1: fantastic we will come back after the break this is success profiles radio we are talking with dave barnett and we are talking about buying and selling a business there are a lot of reasons why people want to sell a business sometimes it's because they have to other times it's because they want to and we will talk about the ins and outs of doing that when we come back from our break this is success profiles radio please stay with us don't go away we will be right back And we are back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My special guest this week is David Barnett, and he is an expert on buying and selling businesses. And we were talking before the break about how to know when to use a broker to sell your business and when you should sell it yourself. And Dave, you did mention that 80% of people out there who are selling their businesses do it themselves. Is it because they want to save the commission? Is it because they don't know that business brokers are out there? Why do you think that happens?
2: Well, it, it's a number of reasons. Uh, and, and a certain you know, piece from each pile, I guess, you know, some people don't know that there's such a thing as a business broker that, that does happen. Um, there, there are also people who identify the buyer, right? So if you're in business and you already know who's going to buy the business, then it becomes difficult to understand why you should pay a commission to someone to do that deal. Right. Because you say, Hey, I already found the person who's going to buy it in, in my book, how to sell my own business. Um, what I do is I I break down the selling process and I say, look, here's how you would do it if you do it yourself. And here's how you can do it not by yourself. So here are the specific things that have to be done to prepare the business for sale and then go out and find a buyer if you need to. And here's how you can use other people to do components, right? So if you, if you think about you know, your business and you have accounting, for example, and let's say someone in your business does your bookkeeping, but you outsource the annual tax return to an accounting firm, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the same kind of thinking. You're going to sell your own business, you're going to do it yourself, but certain tasks that have to be done in order to prepare, present, and make the deal, you bring other people in to help you with that. And so you end up with a more successful process because you outsource the specific specialist things to people who actually know how to do them. Because most business owners... They know how to run their business and they're experts in that field. But the whole idea of buying and selling businesses is a different kind of business. You go from treating, you know, tires or cups of coffee or meals as your inventory and what you're selling to the business itself becoming the inventory. This is what I'm trying to sell. And it's amazing how people can have very clear ideas about what they're doing in their business to help their customer and to make the, the, the experience successful, and they're not able to translate that stuff over to the selling of the business. So I'll give you a, one very clear example. Sure. If you owned a car dealership, right, and you were selling cars that ranged in price from twenty dollars to $50,000, what would be the one, one of the things that you might realize your customers could have a problem with?
1: They might have a problem with the cost.
2: Right. Because many people don't have $50,000 in their bank account. Right. Right. So, so that car dealer, one of the first things they would do is they would create relationships with banks and finance institutions and leasing companies. Right. Right. So that they would then advertise, Hey, come check out the car. And if you like it, you know, it's, it's only uh, $500 a month. Right. And so when we're selling a business, one of the very first things we have to consider is who is the buyer likely going to be and how will they pay for it? Because we can do certain things in the preparation of selling a business and in the running of the business that's going to make it easier for somebody to actually be able to buy, right? And so and so that's the kind of thing I'm talking about because many small business owners, when they decide to sell, they put a price on it and they never even think about how someone's going to buy it. They assume that the buyer's going to go have their own money, come up with their own financing and it's an important part of the conversation that has to be addressed. When I was a business broker, I worked with the sellers, but then I often ended up writing business plans for the buyers mm. and, and then taking them to the bankers I knew, right? Mm. And, and so I could help actually facilitate the transaction to find them the money to actually do the deal. Yeah. So, so there's, there's all kinds of parts of this transaction that have to be considered because once you get into the middle of it, if you start talking with a buyer and you're not prepared and you haven't thought things through, here's what mm-hmm. happens. Delay. And then you're not ready for this and you don't have that information and then you make the buyer wait. And what ends up happening is if there are delays in the process, the buyer's excitement can wane, their interest can dissipate, and they, or at worst, they can think that you need time because you're trying to do something fishy. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so then they become suspicious. And so we want to make sure that we're ready to go so that when we meet the right buyer, there are no barriers to them doing the transaction. Just like if you owned a tire shop, right, and you were selling tires, you'd make sure that your credit card machine was working.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Right? Because you wouldn't want someone to show up on the lot and say, yeah, I'll take the $1,000 set of tires. Uh, Here's my American Express card. And you say, whoa, our machine's not working today. Would you mind running to the bank and getting some cash? (laughs) I mean, you wouldn't do that. Right. No.
1: No, absolutely. And I, I want to ask about some of the mistakes that people make uh, that makes the sale of the business harder to do. One of them you, you addressed was that people uh, don't price their business properly because they really have no idea. You also talked about not having the answers to all of a potential buyer's questions. Are there other mistakes that people make when they're trying to sell their own business?
2: Well, I I, I think I'd like to make a few more comments about price because sure. uh, what... What a lot of people think is that if I price it high, I can always come down, right? right. And and that's the way we think about pricing things like homes or pieces of art, right? right? And and here's the difference with a business. A business's value is based on its cash flow and then there's a factor for risk. So uh, a restaurant producing $100,000 a year of income to its owner and a septic pumping business producing $100,000 of cash flow to its owner there are two businesses that produce $100,000 of cash flow. But the septic pumping business will be worth more than the restaurant because the septic pumping business is a less risky business, right? Mm-hmm. So, so in the restaurant world, you have a lot of competition. You have low barriers to entry. You have price-sensitive clients, right? So there's right. all this riskiness there. In the septic industry, you have high barriers to entry. You need to afford that half-a-million-dollar truck you have to get all kinds of permits from different you know governments, towns, cities, counties to transport that stuff and to dispose of it properly. And and there's not as much competition in the septic business and people only call you every couple of years, so if you raise your prices by 10%, most people don't notice, right? So because it's a less risky cash flow, it can be sold for more. Now, if somebody's out there looking to buy a business They're going to be doing research. They're going to be learning online. They're going to end up on my YouTube channel. They're going to watch videos. They're going to have an idea of what a business that they're after is going to be priced like. So if they're looking for a restaurant, they know an idea of what range the price should be. If they come across your business and they see that you're asking two times or three times more than it should be, they're immediately going to say, this person is crazy. They don't know what they're doing. I Mm -hmm. can't afford to waste my time with them, right? And so what ends up happening is when you overprice a business, you chase away what I call your reasonable buyer. And the reasonable buyer is someone who has experience in the industry. So a banker will like them, right, for that industry. They're going to have good credit. They're going to have equity, either home equity or retirement plan savings, what have you, money in the bank. So they're actually in a position to make a deal, to afford to buy it, and to operate the business and make a banker happy so they can borrow money, okay? Yeah. And so if you scare off the reasonable buyers, you end up with the other buyers who are yes. the people who don't know what they're doing, don't have any money, they're, they're running around offering lowball offers to everybody, and they will suck your time. Mm-hmm. They'll drain your time and your energy and lead to frustration. And so the price is really important to make sure that the right price is being asked um and and you know the other common mistakes that that sellers make is insisting the buyers do unreasonable things so um one of the big conversations i often have is about real estate so you can run a dry cleaning business from a building you own and you can also run one from a building you don't own you can lease a building right right what happens is a lot of small business owners will bring their homeowner mentality into their business and they'll say i don't want to pay rent because I'm throwing money away, I'd rather own a building and pay a mortgage. And so they'll buy a building or maybe they inherit a business, which includes real estate. And so when they go to sell that, what they're doing is they're selling both a business, say a dry cleaner and a building at the same time. Mm. And here's, here's the problem is you now need a buyer who can not only afford a down payment on a dry cleaner, but also on a building. Right. Mm. And so maybe that buyer has to have $200,000 in cash to buy the business whereas if you were just selling the dry cleaner maybe the buyer only has to have 50,000 and so if you divide the two if you say i'm willing to sell the business apart from the property what ends up happening is you lower the burden it's a lower hurdle for a buyer to get in and you widen the field because of course there's more people with 50 grand than there are with 200 grand right and in an extreme example i had one here in my hometown a guy owned this lighting center where he sold chandeliers and lamps and things. Mm -hmm. And he was at the end of a a nine unit strip mall. And then at one point he bought the mall. Okay. And and he ran it like that for a long time. And, and then when he decided to sell, he decided to list it with a real estate broker and the realtor put it up on his website and said, nine unit strip mall with a lighting center. And it sat on the market for years because no one in the market for a lighting center has got the down payment on a nine unit strip mall and nobody interested in owning a strip mall and being a landlord has an interest in owning a lighting center. Right. Right. So, so by combining these two dissimilar assets, they basically excluded both markets from being wow. able to buy. And eventually what happened, if maybe you can guess, the guy just wound up the lighting center. He liquidated and closed it down. And then, of course, oh. the building sold right away because yeah. it became... A pure investment
1: property right now it's vacant and now the new buyer can do whatever they want with it
2: yeah and I mean the proper strategy for that guy would have been to sell the lighting center to someone who was willing to sign a 10-year lease and then sell the building to someone who wanted to collect rent
1: absolutely yeah let's let's talk let's pivot and talk about what happens when someone wants to buy a business we've got a couple of minutes to our next break we've been talking about sellers this whole time Mm -hmm. when someone wants to buy a business what does a buyer need to bring to the table well a buyer
2: needs to bring a couple of things and it's easiest of course if a buyer has money that makes things easy but what a buyer needs to have is credibility number 1 they need to be able to convince a seller that they are able to run this kind of business because if the seller believes that they'll run this kind of business then other resources can be brought on the table such as financing from banks and things one of the one of the things that every seller is going to have to be required to do in almost every case is finance part of the transaction. And and we can get into that conversation maybe after the break, but one of the things that financing part of the deal does is it gives every other party confidence, including the banker, because nobody knows the business better than the owner. And if the owner believes that a certain buyer is going to be able to buy the business, run the business, pay the bank and pay them, Mm-hmm. then the banker can then feel more confident that the that the seller believes that it'll be a successful transition. And also the buyer is going to believe yeah. that it's going to be a more successful transition.
1: Absolutely. We are coming up against our final break. I cannot believe how quickly this is going. We are talking with David Barnett about buying and selling businesses. And we will address the idea of getting... Uh, commercial credit to be able to buy a business if that is something that someone aspires to do. And uh, we'll also talk about how someone can maybe buy a business if they don't have a lot of money to work with. Maybe there are some creative ways to do this. I know in real estate, sometimes you can get very creative and it seems like there are some similarities, but there's buying a business and buying a real estate are not exactly the same thing. We'll come back after the break to explore all of this and much more. Please stay with us. This is Success Profiles Radio.
0: Is the net Radio Network radio with a cutting edge?
2: It's never
0: heard. The do not disturb sign has been around as long as there have been hotels where discretion was a bitter part of value. One lecturer at Cornell University School of Hotel Administration traces the do not disturb sign roots to the aristocracy of the early 20th century at grand establishments such as the Ritz in Europe. It sure is annoying when you just want to be a slug of bed and someone knocks at the door and says, housekeeping, what's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. There are days when I wish I could wear a do not disturb sign around my neck. What do you call someone who wants to lay in bed all day? i'm carolyn davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app too funny for words welcome back to success profiles radio so many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have and this show will clearly demonstrate the principles if i can do it you can do it so let's get back to the show this is success profiles radio And here again is your host, Brian K. Wright. And
1: we're back. This is Success Profiles Radio. My very special guest is David Barnett. And I do want to remind you, if you have not yet subscribed to Success Profiles Magazine, you can go to successprofilesmagazine.com and learn all about how you can subscribe. You can subscribe annually or monthly. It's up to you. Love to have you. And, Dave, we're talking about buying and selling a business, and I've got way too many questions that we aren't going to have time for. Your latest book is called How to Buy My Own Business. Did I get that right? How to Sell My Own Business. How to Sell My Own Business. Oh my gosh, you are so right. How to Sell My Own Business, and it's on Amazon.
2: Yeah, yes, and it's actually the audio version just got released as well on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon.
1: Awesome, fantastic. So we were talking about buying a business we spent most of the show talking about how to sell a business but I do want to ask uh, Because one of the things that you have to bring to the table as we discussed in the last segment is the buyer really needs to have money, but Are there creative ways to do this if someone doesn't have money? I know in real estate that is possible and I know that there are similarities and people think there are parallels between buying a house and buying a business. Is that true in this industry? Are there creative ways to buy a business if you don't have a ton of money to work with?
2: Yes, absolutely there are and and it, it happens all the time. So let me give you a, let me give you an example. Um, when somebody wants to buy a business, um, basically the lenders are going to lend based on the tangible or hard assets that are there. Right. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me. So, um, but if the business is profitable and successful, there's going to be a certain component of what's called goodwill. And goodwill is simply the difference between the purchase price of the business and the value of its stuff, the tangible things, inventory, machinery, equipment, etc. So we may be able to use a lender to, to buy the stuff, but we're always going to end up short because a buyer who wants to buy a business, say that's, that's a $200,000 business, they're usually going to be someone who has like twenty dollars or $30,000 or less. Okay. And so I'm going to get into the no cash idea here as well. When, and so the seller is going to always be ended up in a position where they're going to be asked to finance part of the transaction because no banker wants to finance the goodwill because the goodwill can be destroyed in a day. You know, if you have a pizzeria that's known for its famous pizza sauce and a new owner comes in and changes the sauce, well you can destroy the goodwill in a weekend. Everybody who buys it says, I don't like it anymore. They don't come back. Business is dead, right? The, the banker who lent, again the fur, lent against the furniture in the oven, he can still come and take those, but nobody can take that goodwill. It's, it's evaporated into the wind. Mm-hmm. So, So the seller often has to finance that part of it. Now, if you have a buyer who's capable, who has expertise in a certain industry and can convince a seller that they're the ones to take over the business, and usually this happens when the buyer maybe already works in the business, right? Then a seller could simply decide to finance the transaction. And I see this happen all the time. I had a client of mine who is in, had an aesthetic studio spa kind of business. Uh Her husband was a high income earner. He got transferred. She decided to sell the business. Well, she sold it in two weeks. The whole deal was done because she sold it to one of the people that worked for her and Mm. she carried the note. So the buyer bought the business with none of her own money and pay, is paying the seller over the course of time. Now, that doesn't sound very attractive to a seller, does it? So because you end up selling your business and you don't have any money and, and you get paid over time, but if the buyer fails, you know what happens then? You might have to repossess the business. So, so here's where can, we can get creative. If you know that you're going to sell a business at some point, you can actually start to make decisions in your business That will lead it to be more easy to sell. So for example, if you're going to acquire new equipment in the business, instead of buying the equipment or borrowing for the equipment, maybe what you do is you lease the equipment and you make sure that the lease is assumable, right? And so what you do is you build in these debts and liabilities into the business that can be taken over by a buyer. And getting back to that car dealer example I gave you,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, the car
2: dealer is thinking about what kind of problem the buyer's going to have by arranging financing. When you own a business that you know you're likely going to have to sell, you start making decisions so that you can facilitate the transition to a buyer more easily. One of those things would be to simply have them sign over some of these debts, right? Because if you got paid cash for the business, you'd have to pay off all of your debts Why not just have the buyer take them over? So there are many instances where businesses have been taken over through both the assumption of existing liabilities and through a vendor note to the seller. And, you know, when when I talk with sellers who want to sell quickly, they'll say, I need to sell really fast. Most people would think you lower the price because that's how you would sell a house more quickly. Right. But what I say to people is, no, it's got nothing to do with the price. It has to do with the terms. If you want to sell a business more quickly, you leave the price alone. You just offer to finance more of it. Mm. But for, the, for the sellers who don't like the idea of having to finance part of a business, here's the cold hard truth. If somebody has $25,000 in the bank and they need a place to live, they could go to their local trailer park and buy a trailer. Right, right. Brian? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. But most people don't do that, do they? No. They take the $25,000 and they use it as a down payment to buy a house and they get a mortgage. The people try to use leverage debt to get more. So if you're trying to sell a $200,000 business, the people you meet are likely going to be people that have forty or fifty or $60,000. The people who have $200,000, they're not interested in a $200,000 business. They're trying to buy a $500,000 business. They're trying to use their money to bet leverage and get something bigger. And, so, and because you can't get mortgages on businesses the way that you can on houses, the lack of financing means that if you want to sell it for a reasonable price, often you have to be the bank. And, and I know that there are programs such as the Small Business Administration, you know, doing different programs. What I have learned if through working with my clients all over the U.S. is that, the SBA can be helpful and they can also be not helpful. So some businesses it's very difficult to get an SBA loan, other businesses you can, but the problem with the SBA loan is a lot of the nice features that buyers want often are disallowed. So for example, I have a client in Florida, they're trying to buy a business with an SBA loan. What, I've advised them to do is is make sure that the vendor take back note is subject to offset in the case of undisclosed liens or material misrepresentations. So that gives you recourse after the transaction. If it turned out that the seller was lying about something, Mm -hmm. you can then, you know, offset against that note. Well, guess what? SBA doesn't like that. Right. Right. I mean, it's a number one safety feature for the buyer And their SBA banker is telling them, no, we don't like things that are subject to offset or deductions. Right. Right. So, so, you know, did they move forward with that? Actually, they went looking for a different way. Mm -hmm. And they, and they, and they basically said, if we have to do this SBA deal and we can't have our offset clauses, we're only comfortable at a lower price. Right. If you want the price we've agreed to, we're going to have to finance it differently, which means you have to carry more. And so that seller now has to decide, do they want a higher price and be paid part of it over time? Or do they want more money up front, but they're going to have to agree to a lower price? Because at the end of the day, if the buyer's not comfortable with the risk profile of the deal, there isn't a deal.
1: Right. Absolutely. I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to touch on the subject of commercial credit. I would imagine that it's very, very different than mm. trying to finance a house, like you just mentioned. Is it easier to buy a business than it is to buy a house, or is it not?
2: Well, it, it depends on the relationship between the buyer and the seller. So, in a lot of the the you know, I've got an online course um, called Business Buyer Advantage where I, I teach people. It's based on my full day workshop. It's about nine and a half hours of video tutorials. And one of the things I teach them is that in buying a business, you have to create a human relationship between the buyer and the seller, because the buyer has to convince the seller that they are going to be capable of running the business and they're going to do a good job because otherwise the seller won't agree to finance them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it comes down to that relationship because the seller, because they own the business If they can transfer liabilities, then basically it's just their decision about what they want to do for a buyer.
1: Yeah, I can certainly understand that. So, David, what has surprised you about your journey?
2: Well, I I, I think some of the big surprises that, that I've seen is that no matter how much information seems to be created and put out there by me and by others about how to do these deals is people still end up in these really crappy deals. Um, You know, I, I meet a lot of people, for example, that get tied up in really awful franchise situations. I wrote a book in 2015 called franchise warnings. Yes. People buy it every week, but still people end up getting excited about food or excited about a business and when they're excited, the, the, the thinking and the logic seems to suffer and then right. maybe the caution seems to go by the wayside. And, and I think that's just maybe part of human nature. You know, it's something that people have a lot of difficulty with when they're excited and they want something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I guess you can make all kinds of poor decisions everywhere in your life. Can't you?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So here's the question I ask everyone at the end of the show, who inspires and motivates you, David?
2: Who inspires and motivates me? Well, I, I think it would have to be my children because, you know, I built this business that I have today around the fact that I don't want them in daycare. They come home from school every day. They come here. And, you know, I've, I've designed my own business to facilitate the life that I want to lead, which puts a really big importance on the time I spend with them.
1: That's fantastic. And once again, where can we learn more about you? How can we vibe with you and try with you?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Come on over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com. It's the central place where everything happens. And from there, you can get links to my different blog posts, articles, interviews, YouTube channels, all my books are listed there, my online courses, everything else.
1: Absolutely. And just to highlight for the audience, some things that we did not get to because we're getting close to the end. You can find books, a book about, like David just mentioned, about buying a franchise, the do's and don'ts, red flags to watch out for. You can get a book about uh, commercial credit. You can get his book, How to Sell My Own Business. I got it right this time, didn't I? There you go. (laughs) And you can find all of this on Amazon. Of course, davidcbarnett.com is your website. Did I get that right as well?
2: Yes, that's right, davidcbarnett.com.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, David, so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Any final thoughts that you'd like to impart to our audience before we go?
2: No, it's been a blast, Brian. I just want to thank you for having me on, and I look forward to hearing from some of your listeners.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And we will come back every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern where I talk to a world-class expert and learn how they achieved how they overcame their obstacles, and what they learned from the journey, and, of course, how we can benefit from the mistakes that other people have made. Have a great week, everyone. Join us next week at 6 o'clock Eastern on Monday, and you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.